0: Hey, welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features Pastor Dan Slagan and was recorded on Sunday, July 18th. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, join us next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you're part of Faith Bridge Online, you can always join us at faithbridge.org live. Here's Dan. Let me uh, welcome you to Faith Bridge. So glad that you're here today, whether you are here with us in Center Court West or if you're in our communion venue or if you're coming to us online. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We're going to be in the book of Luke today. That's the third book in the New Testament, chapter 15, if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. And uh, if you don't presently own one, please keep that as our gift to you. Luke chapter 15. So today we're in the second part of a three-part sermon series. Last week we looked at the problem The problem that all of humanity faces. That our sins have separated us from God. And that because we have sinned, we have now disconnected from God. And death is our certain fate. And it is an unfixable problem from our perspective. There's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. But toward the end of the message, uh, we spent just a moment talking about God's solution that He provides through His Son, Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to drill a little bit deeper down into this solution that He has provided. And the next Sunday, Lizzie Bailey is going to bring us a great word on the response to God's solution. So, if you have a problem and somebody provides a solution, there's going to be some response on your part, and Lizzie is going to talk to us about what that response ought to be. Before we jump into our text, uh, I want you to do something for me. I'd like for you to take a moment and think about something. I want you to think about what does God think when he thinks about you? Not humanity in general, but specifically you. What does God think about when He thinks about you? How does God feel when He thinks about you? Hold on to that for just a moment or two, and we'll come back to it. For now, let's turn to our text, chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, I wonder, when I asked you that question a few moments ago, what does God think about when he thinks about you? I wonder how many of you thought to yourself, oh, no doubt. When God thinks about me, he is so excited, he can't wait. He, matter of fact, he runs to meet me. He is so thrilled that I want to be with him that he runs to meet me. Or maybe you thought to yourself, oh, no problem, Dan. When God thinks about me, he thinks about having a party. I mean, he is going to spare no expense. He is going to throw the greatest celebration you can possibly imagine. He loves me so much, he'd have a party for me every day. I kind of doubt you thought that. I think most of us probably think about God the way this boy thought about his father. You see, this boy had an unsolvable problem, an unfixable problem. The money was all gone, the food was all gone. Famine is all around. No one has any pity on this kid. He is all alone. And the only possible solution to his problem is to go back home. But that doesn't seem like much of a solution from where he stands. Because you see, when he left home, he did so in the most disrespectful way imaginable. He went to his father and said, hey, you're not dead yet, but I want my share of the estate. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm done with you. I'm done with the family. Just go ahead and give me my share. In essence, he was saying to his father, you are dead to me. And off he went and squandered it all in wild living, the text says. But then the chickens have come home to roost. And he's thinking, I know there's food to eat at home, but my goodness, will I be accepted? What what will my dad think? What will he say? Oh, I know what I'll do. And he starts to scheme, and he comes up with this plan. I'll just tell him, look, Dad, I know. I blew it. I am not worthy to be your son. I, I am only worthy to be a slave. Please, let me somehow earn my way back into your good graces. Let me somehow work for your love and acceptance. Now, it would be easy for us to sit in judgment of that kid because no doubt he was as foolish as they come. But before we're too hasty in our judgment, I think we need to step back and remember that's often how we are with God. Those of us with our unsolvable problem of sin know where we have to go. We know where forgiveness is to be found, but sometimes the very thought of going back to God, especially if we have promised over and over, I'll never do that again, Lord. I'll never do that again. Oh, what is he going to think of me? So humiliated, so ashamed. I know what I'll do. I'll earn my way. I'll work my way back into God's graces. I mean, who could blame him if he wasn't interested in taking me back? We come up with this crazy idea about who God is. And life seems to reinforce it. We can get into this, this pattern of living that, if not addressed before long, turns into a rut where we sin, as everybody does. And then the natural consequence of the sin, of course, is guilt. We feel bad about what we've done, and we should. But instead of dealing with the guilt then and there, going to God, getting forgiveness, cleaning the slate, no, we live with that guilt, and eventually we are living in a state of fear. God is no longer this loving Heavenly Father. No, He's the one that we're afraid of, the one that we are ashamed to approach, the one that we are embarrassed to have let down again. And if we live in that state of fear long enough, eventually we're only left with two options. We are either going to say, forget the whole thing why bother (laughs) no use in it I've blown it he'll never take me back or we'll take the same route that the son did and we'll decide I can work my way back into God's good graces I can make promises I'll even offer myself up as a servant I'll do whatever it is I have to do to get God to love me again When I graduated from trade school at 19 years old, my first job was with a steel fabricating company. And uh, the department that I worked in utilized a lot of very expensive tools and equipment. And the rule was, if you took one of these pieces of equipment or tools out of the tool room and out onto the shop floor, when you were done with it, You were supposed to take it back. You were held responsible for that piece of equipment. At the end of the day, it needed to go right back where it was, locked up, safe and sound. Well, a day came when I was using a rather expensive piece of equipment and, you know, ADD, careless, any number of reasons, eager to get out of there. I clocked out and left that piece of equipment sitting right there on the shop floor. And at about two in the morning, I sat up straight in the bed. Oh my gosh. Praying, Lord, please let it be there. Please let it be there. You know, when the gate opened at six o'clock, I ran out onto the shop floor looking around. No equipment to be found. Okay, maybe somebody had mercy on me and put it in the tool room. Go racing back there. Gone. It had been stolen. So I had to go to my supervisor and tell him I I blew it. I took this thing out there and instead of putting it away, I left it and uh, it's gone. He said, Well, Dan, I'm afraid you're going to have to go talk to Mr. Kitchens about this. Mr. Kitchens was the owner of the company. I'm 19 years old and here I am going to talk to this gray-haired old man who's owned this company for umpteen years. I am mortified. I remember sitting out in the little waiting area of his office, just drumming my fingers. Finally, his secretary says, Okay, Dan, you can come in. I walk in, and I've got this speech down pat, <laughs> rehearsed. Mr. Kitchens, I am just so incredibly sorry for what I've done. If you... You feel like you need to let me go. I understand. I hope, I really hope that you won't do that. I promise it won't happen again. As a matter of fact, I'll even start paying for it. You can take something out of my paycheck each week if that would make up for it. And finally, he goes, Dan, 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 Dan. I'm not going to fire you. And you don't even have to pay for the piece of equipment this time. Let's just learn something from this, okay? Okay, thank you, Mr. Kitchens. Jesus told this story because we have got an incredibly faulty understanding of who God is. His listeners back then and his listeners today don't understand really who God is. And it's revealed in the details of the story. Think about it. When did the father realize that his son was coming back home? Was it when the boy uh, walked in the back door and said, here I am? Dad looks up with disgust. No, what does it say? He saw him when he was a long way off. For days, who knows how many days, dad had been out looking over the horizon, probably praying, hoping against hope. One day my boy is going to be there. And then finally the day comes and he sees him. And what does he do when he sees him? Does he cross his arms? Okay, jerk, come on home. Got a lot of nerve coming back. No, what does it say? He took off running. He ran. He ran hiked up his robe and ran to greet his son and grabbed him in his arms and began hugging him and kissing him. I read a commentator who said that this part of the story is the most astonishing part of the whole thing for Jesus' listeners. Because in that day and time, in that culture, Middle Eastern men did not run anywhere. And they certainly did not run to greet a son who had brought such shame And such humiliation to the whole family. For him to have taken off running would mean he would lose all standing in the community. All respect from his neighbors. But that daddy could not have cared less about community standards. All he could think was, there is my son. There's my son. And I can't wait to get to him. And I don't think I'm going to let him go when I get a hold of him. And, of course, the boy launches right into this well-prepared speech. You know, Father, I have sinned to get it. And it's as though Dad does not hear a single word the boy is saying. He doesn't even acknowledge the speech. What does he say? He turns to his servants and he says, Quick, get a ring and a robe and some sandals and kill the fattened calf. My son is home. He was lost and now he is found. That's all that matters to me. No mention is made of where he's been or what he's done or what his expectations would be now that he's back. No, he is simply excited that he is back. And yet, when we think about going back to God, when we've blown it, when we've messed up one more time, Do we really think he's going to come running to us with open arms? Or are we living in that world of fear? Do we have the ready-made speeches, the promises to God, I'm sorry, I'll never do this again. When I was five years old, a family that lived right across the street from us had a swimming pool, which in my neighborhood was unheard of. But one day, they invited us, me and my siblings, over for a swim. Now, my older siblings were anywhere from 8 to 12 years older than me. So when we got over there, they jumped right in. I was five. I had not yet learned how to swim. But I saw them jump in. I saw everybody else jumping in. Must be the thing to do. Off I go. (laughs) Straight to the bottom. And in my mind's eye, I can still see so clearly, even though it was 53 years ago, I can still see Miss Barbara, the mom, diving into that pool straight toward me, swimming down to where I was and grabbing hold of me, and I was fighting and wriggling and doing whatever I knew to do to save myself, to try to get some air. But she gently... And yet firmly wrapped her arms around me, pulled me up to the top of the water, and I am still thrashing like crazy. And finally she said, Danny, be still, be still. I struggled a little but Danny, be still. She carried me over to the edge of the pool and set me out. When I'm afraid to go back to God and I start thinking about the rehearsed speeches that I'm going to tell Him and all of the excuses that I'm going to make and all of the things I'm going to say to convince Him, surely God, you'll forgive me one more time. Surely you will love me one more time. I think about Miss Barbara. And if she was willing to jump into a pool and save this scrawny little five-year-old boy, and teach him a lesson, how much more will my heavenly Father reach down to save me and show me that He loves me with a love greater than I could ever imagine? Friends, too many of us are walking around in fear today. We've acknowledged, as we did last week, got a problem. I got a problem I can't fix I can't do anything about it. We know the one who has the solution, but the thought of going to him just fills us with dread. And if Jesus is saying anything in this story, he's saying, you've got it all wrong. You don't know who God is. Just as this boy did not truly know his father, so we don't know our heavenly father. Our heavenly father is standing, looking, He was looking for you and for me far before we were ever looking for him. And while we were still a long way off, lost, hopeless, he started to run. And he ran to you and me. And if we will but allow him to take us in his arms and not wiggle and give excuses, and come up with speeches, but simply rest in His love. Surrender. We'll begin to discover a God that we never knew. We'll begin to discover that the solution to the problem of sin is not trying harder. It's not making promises that we'll never keep. The solution to the problem of sin is running to a Heavenly Father that's running to us and throwing ourselves upon Him and trusting that His love is greater than any sin that will ever be a part of our lives. Jesus desperately wanted us to know this truth. And He taught it any number of ways throughout His life and ministry in stories and in the things that He did right up until the very last night of his earthly life. You'll recall that on that last night, Jesus gathered his friends, his disciples together in a room. And he said to them, I've gathered you here because I want you to understand something. When it comes to your sin, you don't have to break yourself trying to make things all better because I'm going to allow my body to be broken for you. And when it comes to your sin, you don't have to spill your own blood because I'm going to spill mine for you. And on a regular basis, I want you to gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ and be reminded of what I have done for you. Be reminded that your Heavenly Father does not stand with His arms crossed, disappointed, angry, disgusted. No, your Heavenly Father stands with His arms wide open, ready to take you back. And so as you come to the table today, I want you to come with your hands open, ready to receive what God has for you, because He has something for you. He has love, and forgiveness, and kindness, and joy that you have returned to Him. Here at Faith Bridge, we celebrate the Lord's Supper using the method of intinction. That is to say, when you come down front to one of the stations, there will be a gluten free cracker that you can take. And you dip it in the cup and then partake. We have what we call an open table here at Faith Bridge. That is to say, anyone who has a relationship with Jesus or would like to have one is welcome to come. In just a few moments here in Center Court West and in our communion venue, the ushers will guide us down front. For those of you that are worshiping with us at home, this would be a good time to get some bread and some juice so that you might celebrate with us. Let's take a moment and pray together as we prepare to receive. Father, how thankful we are that when we were lost, you didn't turn away. And when we were lost again and again and again, you never turned away. But your arms are always open, always eager always ready to receive us may this bread be for us the body of Christ may this juice be for us his blood and may it remind us that your love is infinite and eternal and it is there for the asking oh God would you take away our fear and replace it with the sure and certain knowledge that we are loved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.